This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and in this virtual studio tonight, we welcome back Flick Ford. Hello, it's nice to be back. <laughs> After one whole week away. <laughs> yes. And uh, just because he just can't get enough from the palatial surrounds of Adelaide, we welcome back Stewie Richards. Thank you for having me. Good to be back. Lovely Aww. to have you back. <laughs> so on tonight's show, we will be celebrating Pride Month by looking at three recent classics of queer cinema, representing many colours of the Pride flag. We will dash across LA with a pair of transgender sex workers on Christmas Eve in Sean Baker's 2015 shot on iPhone indie hit Tangerine. Then we'll walk the streets of Strasbourg in France with gay hustlers looking for love in Camille vidal Naquet's 2018 drama Sauvage. And finally, we'll make out around Brooklyn as a bisexual struggles to bounce back from a breakup with her lesbian girlfriend in Desiree Akaven's 2014 romantic comedy, Appropriate Behaviour. We'll also take a quick look at Sam Feeder's new Netflix documentary about representation of trans lives on screen, Disclosure. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films tonight, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. This last week, we bid farewell to film director Joel Schumacher, who passed away at the age of 80 due to cancer. After starting out as a famed window dresser at New York City's prestigious Bendel's department store, then as an art director for filmmakers like Woody Allen and Paul Mazursky, and a screenwriter of such films as Sparkle, Car Wash and The Wiz, he made a couple of TV movies before making his feature directorial debut in, with 1981's The Incredible Shrinking Woman, starring Lily Tomlin. After that followed the ensemble comedy DC Cab before he became one of Hollywood's go-to journeyman directors of the 1980s and 90s, making a string of blockbusters hugely influential on most Gen Xs or millennials who grew up during this time. St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, Flatliners, The Client, Batman Forever, A Time to Kill, and even his franchise killing Batman and Robin and the screen <laughs> adaptation of, um, of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. He also directed a handful of genuinely interesting and underrated dramas with 1993's Falling Down, 1999's Flawless, and 2000's Tigerland. His final film was 2011's Trespass with the twin Nicks, Cage and Kidman, and his final directing credits were two episodes of the first season of Netflix's House of Cards in 2013. And in keeping with the theme of tonight's episode, Joel Schumacher was 
incredibly influential and inspiring to so many as one of the few fully out gay blockbuster film directors of the 1980s and 90s, leaving behind a huge legacy in popular entertainment. Any faves among you, yourselves? Oh, Falling Down. Love that film so much. I think it's amazing. If anyone hasn't seen it, just the opening five minutes alone will have you hooked. It's quite so something. good. Yeah. Stewie. Beautiful sound design. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, th- I, yeah. I think his efforts with Batman uh, were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Queer up the bat. I th- yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Robin in that tight suit. Uh, <laughs> I think he gets knocked for those a bit, but I think they're genuinely fantastic. It's it's quite. I was thinking during the week. It is quite a flex for a gay filmmaker at working that level to do that to a property mm-hmm. like Batman. I'm going to put nipples on the bat suit. I'm going to make it neon. I'm going to you know have like, you know uh, Bruce and and Dick talk about going to biker bars. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of great. We also lost producer Stuart Cornfeld, who, as Mel Brooks's producing partner of Brooks Films, produced or executive produced such classics as The Elephant Man and The Fly, helping popularise the careers of David Lynch and David Cronenberg, before later joining Ben Stiller to produce such films as Zoolander, Dodgeball, Tropic Thunder, Submarine, and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. He was also instrumental in helping Primal Screens own Emma Westwood in writing her book-length appreciation of The Fly for Devil's Advocates. Cornfeld passed away of cancer, age 67. In industry news, the federal government um, have pledged a $50 million temporary interruption fund to help local screen producers secure finance and get productions rolling. While Screen Producers Australia have celebrated the cash injection as a welcome boost to the independent production sector, many industry commentators have slammed it as a merely token gesture and the tip of the iceberg of what the industry needs given the arts and entertainment sector is worth $111 billion to the economy. But any boost is a good boost, I guess. And finally, local not-for-profit multicultural screen organisation Cinespace has joined forces with the Maribyrnong City Council to launch the 123 Film Competition, with the aim of seeking short films from filmmakers of Indigenous and culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds around the Maribyrnong City Council area. Films can be entered on any subject or genre, but must be shot in one location, have two actors or less, and run for three minutes or less. $2,500 in cash prizes are up for grabs, so if you're a budding filmmaker of Indigenous or culturally and linguistically diverse background who lives, works, or studies in the Maribyrnong City Council area, head to filmfreeway.com and search for 123, just the numbers, 123 Film Competition, and send your entry in from June 22nd. Good luck. Now, before we launch into our films this evening, given this is our Pride Month Queer Cinema Spotlight special, and the fact that the transgender experience is still a relatively unexplored part of the screen landscape, we thought we'd just take a quick five minutes to look at the new Netflix documentary, Disclosure, Trans Lives on Screen, from director Sam Fader. Fader interviews an all-star roster of trans actors and filmmakers from Laverne Cox, Jen Richards and Alexandra Billings to Lana Wachowski, Brian Michael Smith, Chaz Bono, Trace Lysette and many more. Uh, Flick and Stewie, did you manage to catch this? Unfortunately, yes. I was, yeah, I was, a, I was the poor student this week, very, very bad student who didn't watch the film. I'm sorry. I <laughs> we'll give you an the extension. Side. Yeah, so I'll, I'll switch, I'll pass to Stewie on this one. Yeah, I thought I'd uh, give a plug to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival 
um, they're partnering with Queer Screen in Sydney and the Brisbane Queer Film Festival to do a live Q&A with Sam Fader and Jen Richards, who is a director and performer uh, interviewed in the doco. Uh, I really love it. I think it's going to be a really important teaching tool for a lot of film students about why products of popular culture are so important to engage with and consider critically. Uh, there's a lot of really great moments where they talk about the importance of trans performers playing trans characters uh, and the importance of diversity behind the screen as well in terms of production staff. Um, it's also very funny as well. So Candace Kane talks about her role in Dirty Sexy Money when they digitally lower her voice just to get across. Weird. Yeah, just to get across that she's a, a, a transgender yeah. character. Um, and all of these various performers laughing about all of the sex workers they portray and hmm. all of the times they've died and just how <laughs> ridiculous the storylines are. I do think it's quite unwieldy and shapeless where it just kind of meanders from topic to topic uh, and it's quite um, yeah it can be a little I guess conceptually messy in that regards um, also I get a little kind of bugbear of mine with these type of documentaries is that yes they focus on Hollywood and I get that that is a really important limitation for a documentary like this but it results in the film being very American yeah, in I that agree. regards. Um, so, uh, I mean, yes, there's a lot of detail here, all the way back to D.W. Griffiths, but uh, there's also a lot of really great trans uh, stories that happen in non-American cinema. Mm. Um, just some recent ones that I loved were Lawrence Anyways by Xavier Dolan. Oh, I love that movie. A Fantastic Woman, which gets mentioned oh, love briefly. It's yeah, sort it of bookends the in, dot, doesn't it? Yeah, it's but it's not engaged with critically or meaningfully. No. Uh, Tomboy by Celia, uh, Celine Siama, uh, Romeo's is another one. And if you were to look at any programming schedule of a queer film festival, uh, they're not really dominated by Hollywood products. Hmm. Queer audiences seek out uh, a lot of international cinema. So... In, in this regards, it, it puts a lot of American products on a pedestal and there, it just is this whole kind of avenue of queer cinema and television that just is not engaged with, which is disappointing because I, I think the topics that are covered are, are done really, really thoughtfully. Um, so overall, I really like this film. And there's so many other countries that have probably been a little bit more progressive about mm. trans representation on screen as well than America. Yeah. And yes. again, that's one of the issues I think with America kind of being the self-proclaimed kind of center of the entertainment universe. Yes. There's a lot of that. And a lot of the documentaries like this do the exact same thing. So mm. there's the documentary Fabulous, a story of queer cinema. Um, there's like a little 30 second montage of, by the way, there are other films outside of America. Um, <laughs> and then there's Celluloid Closet as well, which was many decades ago, which really doesn't adequately go into non-American films either. So. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I like you. I, I really, really dug this as well. Um, mm. And it's just great to hear um, 
hear their performers and filmmakers actually um, um, speaking on the subject and um, drilling down to why certain things are hurtful and why certain things yeah. are, um, uh, are important. Um, mm. Yeah, I loved it too. So you can catch Disclosure on Netflix um, right, uh, right after the show. Not during the show, please stick with us, listen <laughs> to us, but after the show, feel free. Well, why don't you now grab a donut and join us on the corner for our first film of the evening. I got some good news to tell you. What? I've been keeping a secret about me and Chester. <laughs> Woo! I know what it is. Oh, You're girl. breaking up with him. Thank God. Because, what? honey, for I'm him to be cheating on you like what? that. Wait, 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 wait. What? Uh, um, you, you didn't know? Tangerine from 2015 is the fifth feature film directed by Sean Baker. Fresh from serving a 28-day prison sentence, transgender sex worker Cindy Rella, played by Katana Kiki Rodriguez, meets her friend Alexandra, played by Maya Taylor, another trans sex worker, at a donut shop in Hollywood on Christmas Eve. Alexandra reveals that Cindy's boyfriend and pimp, Chester, played by James Ransone, has been cheating on her with one of his girls, a cisgender woman. Cindy storms out to search the neighborhood for Chester and the woman. Flick, what makes this very different take on a festive comedy such a delight? <laughs> oh, isn't it a delight? It's wonderful. Um, I, I just adore this film. It's so much fun. And uh, I'm a big fan of Sean Baker. He, um, his earlier, oh, sorry, later film, Florida Project, which came out in 2017, uh, is a film that I've written quite a lot on. And I just find him a really fascinating filmmaker. I don't know if either of you are that familiar with his work, but he seems to always um, sort of take, tell stories that are outside of his own experience. And that can be kind of a difficult sell or that can be very problematic, especially when we're talking about LGBTQI. But I feel like he has a real tenderness to his filmmaking style and he has a lot of collaboration. So his earlier films uh, were like Prince of Broadway, which was in 2008, which was like this kind of New York hustler, um, Takeout, which is about an illegal Chinese immigrant. And you've got uh, Four Letter Words, which is his first film in 2000 about this kind of, um, that was probably the closest to his own experience. It was about um, sort of post-adolescent men. Um, and so it was and this kind Starlet of- And um, as well, right? Starlet, yeah. of course. Yeah, I've got that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's he he chooses really interesting topics and characters, and I think that could be something that's done very badly. But he manages to add so much humanity and depth and and texture to these characters. And he worked very closely with the actors in this film, which I think really brings brings it to life. And it feels it's got this crazy style to it. So it's shot on three iPhones. Um, the name of the film actually comes from that orange vibe it's got with the whole, like every <laughs> scene is saturated with these like, um, yeah, this sort of orange tint. It's amazing. I was um, wondering where the title came from. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of got like, you know, it's a juicy film that kind of fits <laughs> in with it. It's very zesty. I, I kind of, I really love that he's just gone there with it. It gives a great sense to it. It's kind of funny because I remember wanting to see this and I accidentally put in Tangerines and watched a very different film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, also do recommend that film, but uh, it's not, it's not Tangerine. And even 
confusingly, uh, they're both on SBS on demand. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Now. Not a good. Don't watch them back to back. But uh, yeah, I just loved the characters in this. I thought the 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 two um, the two friends at the centre of this have such a beautiful friendship and a very believable friendship. And you know, they're friends in real life, and that just translates so well. And actually, the whole thing of being shot on. Um, the iPhones. So Baker worked with first-time actors in this role uh, for this film and he was talking about the way in which, like, because they were using the iPhones, it was actually a lot less daunting for these actors and so he was able to get these very authentic exchanges and it took away a lot of that um, staginess of sometimes you see when people um, don't have as much experience. And um, I like the fact that while there's this really kind of... um, sort of almost trashy element to the, the style because it's just on iPhones. The sound design is still, um, it's still, the sound was still recorded as it would be for like a normal film. So um, it kind of in some ways I think really subverts that visual centrism of cinema. It's kind of giving, um, giving this beautiful soundscape and the music in this is so good and it's got these really dramatic scores suddenly mm. and it adds, it really elevates this, this story and the narrative and um, and just shines a really um, wonderful spotlight on like black trans sex workers and there's just so much to love in this. I, um, I feel like one of the things that really interests me about queer cinema is the way in which you can also have a queering of the film itself as a sort of approach to filmmaking where you're playing around with convention as a queering and I think that that radical and political approach to filmmaking is is so powerful and it's lovely when it's coupled with a queer narrative um and I'm sure Stewie's the expert on queer cinema but I think and I'm sure you can talk to this a bit more but that is something that really stood out for me and that was why it was my pick for this week because it's that coupling of the queering of the actual film form and also um yeah telling this wonderful story and yeah so many great characters so many great scenes I highly recommend if you haven't seen Tangerine please see it yeah, I really love this film. I think uh, I think what he does with the iPhone is really incredible. Uh, the the intimacy that he achieves with the camera and how he shoots space, I think, is really fascinating. I mean, like being able to film in a toilet cubicle. Uh, is really great. And when uh, Maya Taylor, who plays Alexandria, um, is, is performing, he can he can get up really close to her face, uh, which I really love. I heard him speak at the Sydney Film Festival when he was in town, and he mentioned just how hectic the filming got because I there's bet. the <laughs> hectic there's in the, form and function. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's the bit where there's a lot of, um, I, I guess, physical aggression on the street Mm. and because they're just filming with the iPhone a lot of people passing by thought it was real so they had to constantly be whipping out their you know their uh their filming production schedules and permits to prove to people that like this is not an actual fight happening (laughs) um and and when they were in the cab the sound guy was in the boot as well oh wow Uh, just, I mean, just sort of how I, I think interesting this filming is. Um, I think Maya Taylor gives a really incredible performance mm, in this film. She's so good, and, isn't she? Yeah, and she met uh, Sean Baker at the LA uh, LGBT Centre 
which is how Sean Baker came across, um, I, yeah, these these performers. Um, and it's interesting that Sean Baker, in a lot of his interviews for this film, cited uh, the Dallas Buyers Club as motivation for him to seek out trans performers uh, because right. he was really... He was really disappointed in Jared Leto uh, getting all of this glory for playing a trans character when, um, yeah, it, that didn't really sit right with him. So, um, mm. yeah, Maya, I think this is an, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to add, Maya was, um, had just started hormone therapy when the film started. Mm, so yeah. it was really kind of captures that transition for her as well. Which mm. is, so that's what she's literally commenting on in the first scene. Mm, yeah. As well. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Mm. I loved her performance. I think, yeah, I think uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez is a lot of fun, but Maya Taylor seems to have the real acting chops of the two of them. Like, I, yeah. I, I would love to see her do more stuff. Mm. Um, she's very kind of just has this effortless way of kind of commanding space and commanding the camera and 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 and, and droll delivery. Um, mm. Yeah, she's wonderful. Also, I mean, James Ransone is always lots of fun. He's sort of become reasonably well known now because of the uh it movies playing eddie kasparak but uh him as chester is a lot of fun um <laughs> as as is mickey o'hagan as the uh dd or <laughs> the girl that gets dragged halfway around uh los angeles i think the way um i think the the key with um uh with um, i was gonna say Stuart baker um <laughs> sean baker <laughs> Um, is that I think you touched on it before, Flick, that he he's often exploring these these um uh these experiences that aren't his own, but he never feels like a tourist. Mm. And I think he's always great at involving people from that community and and rather than stealing their stories, actually kind of using them to tell their stories. Mm. He's great with authenticity of casting. Um, yeah. With the Florida project, he gets kids from sort of around that area. Um, and with a lot of the previous films he mentioned, he would sort of, you know, get people from their milieu and really collaborate with them on the story and get them to express themselves within mm-hmm. uh, the film and roles mm. as much as possible, um, which is the way to do it. I yeah. think, I think, because, you know, you, as, as an artist, you can't always, you know, predict or dictate what you're going to be interested in and what mm. stories you want to tell. And, and also too, like if, if, you know, he, is someone of privilege then often using that privilege to lift others up in order to tell their stories is, mm. you know, is a, is a great thing. Also, he's just I mean, a that's, great filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, that's something that uh, Jen Richards talks about in Disclosure because when, I mean, she, she mentions that when, you know, we get Eddie Redmayne in Danish Girl and then Jared Leto in the mm. Dallas Buyers Club, when they play transgender characters, they're lauded for playing the transness of it all where when we get trans performers playing trans characters there's a lot more nuance and authenticity to their characters because they're just playing characters they're not playing yeah and there's something else yeah there's something else that they're they're bringing out um i do want to mention one thing i remember sean baker mentioning in uh when he was at the sydney film festival uh there's those crane shots that you see um in some of the the scenes what they were doing was sticking the the phone to a broom and oh, just wow. kind of like 
like lifting up the broom and seeing what would happen. And here I one that used a drone. <laughs> no, not a drone. Yeah, apparently it was like stuck on a broom and they were just like lifting the broom and seeing what would happen. Wow. That's exactly, I, that's what I love about Baker yeah. is that he he has a real... Um, it's not just like, yeah, like you were saying, he's not like a tourist to these these places or these people. He Even his filmmaking techniques have this sense of like kind of inventiveness and yep. being really economic with money yeah. <laughs> and the finances for these. But there's um, there's also like a, it's sort of celebrating those approaches of being like actually you don't need to be a massive big studio. You can you can do the, you can have a way around telling these stories that's um yeah, fits in with the place as well, the story you're telling. Uh, yeah, that's such a great story, Stewie. <laughs> I've, I've always described this film as being very punk. Yeah, yeah. it does feel very punk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think that's that's the whole the whole querying of it. I think that's where that mm-hmm. comes from. You know, yeah. they have it has a similar sensibility in that sense. But I think it's more like we were talking about the two leads before. Um, there's something wonderful about Cindy. She's just like so over the top that I love that um she's really balanced with um with Alexandra I think that they're Mm, like two sides of the same coin and two different extremes and there's so much love between the two women like there's yeah it's so much love there it's it's quite a tender film and surprisingly heartbreaking as well in moments I mean, it's so, there's so much energy to the film, uh, particularly as, you know, Cinderella is like dragging the other woman across, you know, Hollywood. But then it stops really quickly and there's these sudden melancholic moments that I think grab mm-hmm. you by surprise, which I love. Mm. Yeah, because we, we've not even mentioned the um, uh, Razmik, the Armenian cab driver character. Yeah. Who's uh, a cab? You know, a, cab, a family man with a with a taste for um, transgender sex workers, mm. um, and that whole story as well. There's mm. there's a lot going on in this film. There's a lot yeah. more than is immediately apparent. And yeah, actually, late. and if, and also in the Florida Project, he's he's uh, there's the young woman, a young mother who works um, as a sex worker in the, this low housing. Um, low-cost housing um, established, um, Mm. what are they called? (laughs) Low-cost housing um, uh, um, hotel. Block of flats. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I struggled so much over that. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, and I think that that, like, he has a real, um, yeah, the way in which he tells the story of sex workers is, yeah, I think very um, empathetic and also just I feel like because he's drawing upon real experience, I think that it it plays out Mm. on screen. Yeah. Well, even to the point where they used to actually do um, a lot of the sex, transgender sex workers in that area used to do business in that donut shop. Mm, and one wow. of the reasons why the iPhone was deemed necessary to film it on because the donut shop is tiny and it was to get in there and get around because he knew, he, he said to the producers, I don't want to shoot it if we can't shoot it in this shop because this mm. is part of their their just fabric there. And so, yeah, so the iPhone camera was able to sort of get in there and swing around everybody and use that space to its maximum. Yeah. But Actually, fun, how great – oh, sorry, go. go. I was just going to say, fun bit of trivia, that donut shop is uh, now owned by Danny Trejo. Oh, really? <laughs> so there you go. I was, I was just going to add that the donut – shop worker is so wonderful like there's so many little characters and she kind of acts almost as the spectator like the voice of the spectator where you're like this is crazy (laughs) what is going on here and she's like I'm gonna call the cops (laughs) yeah 
loved, loved her. She's great. It's great. Tangerine is able to stream on SBS On Demand or rental by via YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and the Microsoft Store. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Stewie Richards, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, crank up the bass and join us in the club <laughs> for our second film of the evening. Ça fait combien de temps que vous vous Sauvage from 2018 is the debut feature film directed by Camille Vidal-Niquet. 22-year-old Leo, Felix Marito, lives on the streets selling his body for cash. The men come and go, but he stays, longing for love. When he's not turning tricks, he's dancing in clubs, taking drugs, staying in squats, and hanging with a community of fellow street-based sex workers. They play soccer in parks, fight, and line the roads once it gets dark. Leo finds himself falling for gay-for-pay art, Eric Bernard, and through this attachment, his emotional needs come to the fore. Stewie. Yes. What, what is it about this journey into one man's search, one young man's search for love on the mean streets that draws you into its web? Well, it's not an easy film to watch. It's, uh, it's pretty difficult, but I am obsessed with the lead actor, Felix Maritor. Oh, such a babe. Such a babe. But also, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've seen a performance like this in quite some time. Just the the way he moves and holds his face, and the way his whole his whole body performs throughout this film, I think is incredible. Uh, just watching him walk down the street in this film, I think, is really great. Um, there is a he, lot of great physicality in general in this film as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. the way he dances as well just kind of throws his whole body into the performance. Uh, he's also done a lot of really great French queer films uh so his first film was bpm uh a oh, few right. ago mm. uh, it's actually the one that i thought you'd pick i, I was like oh stewie's gonna pick bpm that'll be yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you surprised me yeah um he's also in knife and heart as well the the gay porn uh slasher film uh from last year um he's in another really great film called i am jones i am jonas uh he's in the short film by christine and the queens which he's released very recently la vita nova and gaspar noe's film released last year lux eterna um so he's been like this in this space of a few years has just been in so many great, really intensely queer French films. Um, and in this one, I, I think just watching this character slowly disintegrate as the mm. film goes on, I think is so powerful. Um, and th- the more he descends into just this, I think this this pit of despair really, uh, mm. the more he's just longing for love, which I think makes mm. the ending just all the more heartbreaking. Oh, mm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. Mm. Sorry, go on. Sorry. And then there's that scene with the doctor um, yeah. in the in the midst of it. Just, It's a bit like Tangerine where it's the film is on one path of a certain intensity and then there's just this unexpected moment of heart 
that just really grabs you by surprise. And when that hug happens in the doctor's office, Mm. um, just blown away. Um, And I Mm. I haven't really felt that type of performance for quite some time. Um, So that's why I chose it. Um, And there's a lot of really interesting technical things going on in this film. Uh, The way the camera has this like verisimilitude. It's almost like a documentary in some parts. Mm. But um, for me, it's the performance, I think, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he's, um, he is so beautiful on screen. I think that that is such a crucial part of the narrative as well. Like he is kind of this object of beauty that is walking through the streets, but then he's also suffers so much um, emotional torture through this mm. sort of quasi-boyfriend that he has on the streets who treats him quite badly, but then has moments of um, being quite warm to him. And even just with the drug abuse, the way in which he sort of puts himself sometimes in like really awful situations. Mm. And I think that's a big part of the, a big part of it is watching something beautiful being destroyed. Um, But having said that, the ending is so interesting and obviously we won't give any spoilers, but I think this film takes us on a really interesting and unexpected journey because it's a difficult thing to manage of a lot of queer cinema, particularly when these stories were first being told, particularly in literature, they were made to have um, a sad ending to be like to to, to try to um, promote heteronormativity and Almost to have like a um, tale. Yeah, 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 like you don't want to be gay. This is what's going to happen, and it's interesting because often, sometimes when there's a sad ending, there's also or there's you know an upsetting. This is a very upsetting film in a lot of ways. It's also telling a truth that is um, for someone's experience on living on the street. And there's it, the relationship with the boyfriend in particular is really interesting because there's a level of perhaps internalised um, homophobia as well on his boyfriend's mm. behalf. And it's so painful to watch on screen. And there are these little moments of nurture from unexpected strangers that kind of offer him a way out of these these um, situations but then he's also it's also a sense of pride there from him where he doesn't always want to accept that that help Mm. and you know the title means wild and I think there's a real sense of um, yeah like a like a wildness to him as a character and he's this you know really interesting 22 year old boy uh, man who just like yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating case study. I had I I just watched this today, so I'm still kind of processing it. Hmm. Um, I think it's really powerful, but in it's there's a I think for the the interrelationships really, there's these moments of connection, and you just get such a strong sense of his longing. I think yeah. that, that really comes off yeah. in this, hmm. and yeah. the, and the isolation, and hmm. and that idea of like you could have a situation where you were being taken care of by an older wealthier man but that sense of self and and just wanting for something to be real yeah um, I, feel, I feel like part of that is a sense of freedom as well um yeah. talking about the film savage which as you say translates as wild and there's even a moment of dialogue where ard says to like he he's um leo is constantly wanting to cuddle uh yeah. and get close to him and 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 there's a point where ard allows him a cuddle after a bit of, you know, no, nah, I don't do that, no, nah, I don't. And then he's like, oh, we're not, he mentions that we're not animals. Yeah. And there's something slightly animalistic about Leo, that sense of freedom. Mm. Like he's longing for love, but the minute things start, the walls start to close in and he needs to get out. He needs to, you know, it's like the doctor asks him why, you know, 
we can get you to, you know, we can get you off the drug and get, get you off the streets. We can change your life. And he's like, why would I want to? Mm. Why would I want to change? Um, which is really interesting as a, as a, as a character point and also as a, as a perspective for the film as well. Mm. It's like, and it's something that's great because I don't think, you know, often with sex work in film as well, it's always this, like, we reviewed a film earlier this year, this terrible movie called Lost Girls, where it was like everybody looking at sex workers like this path to death. Like, you know, it was this yeah. horrible, like, why would you choose? Like, but the fact is people do choose sex work and they do mm. choose it because they get, you know, some people really do get some, some people are led there through desperation. Others, they get something out of it. And, and even some people who are led there through desperation get something out of it. And this is a unique perspective through Leo's character. Yeah. And why he great, you know, and, and it's for him, it's contact, it's touch, it's love, it's you know, um, yeah. There's a lot of really beautiful, beautiful stuff in this film. Also, a lot of really heavy, <laughs> high impact stuff as well. Um, also, a new way to drug somebody, which I never knew about before. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a moment. Wow. I'm like, Does that work? <laughs> um, wow. uh, not going to give that away, but there's a. <laughs> pro tip for anyone wanting to uh, um but yeah it, it's but i i agree uh stewie uh, felix um marito's performance in this is really really um lovely and 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 subtle and lived in like mm. feels like it doesn't feel like an actor who's been sort of messed up to look like he felt it feels like he's from the streets he feels like he's you know um in need of a good you know of a hug and a shower, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he described filming uh, this film as like a giant acid trip. <laughs> yeah. That took him a while to recover from. Wow. Yeah. I bet. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Eric Bernard, who plays art, is terrific as well. Um, mm. And, and yeah, like we're going to what his status is. And clearly, as you say, there is some internalized homophobia there. But and I his think... life certainly doesn't work out in the way he would have imagined. But yeah. He, I mean, he's a really interesting character, you know, exploring this, uh, I, I guess, aspect of male queer sexuality that has sex with men, both personally and professionally, but doesn't identify as, you know, explicitly queer or gay, mm. um, where for him, it's just a job that he does mm. to get by, mm. um, and which is where that tension with uh, Leo comes from. And also and, one senses there's something cultural there as well. Like he's yeah. Algerian. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of assuming he's Algerian or, or, or of that. And and there's maybe some of that repression comes from that past is, and, and his cultural background as well. I've forgotten the name of the other um, man that comes on the scene who he's a Oh, the guy that keeps calling him Draga. Yeah. Um, and I th- he was really an exceptional character because he also, as a sex worker, he has a lot of pleasure in those experiences and he gets beaten up because he's he's selling, um, he's undercutting the cost of blowjobs. And it's just really interesting because he is really similar to Leo. He almost acts as a, a mirror of sorts, like a slightly different, you know, skewed mirror to him mm. and that allows for him to have a safe space in that otherwise kind of volatile, you know, life of poverty mm. but it's not it's not kind of seen as a necessarily negative thing as you're saying mm. Paul. It's, it is presented with like actually there's some real positives and one of those is freedom mm. yeah and community yeah yeah absolutely yeah. that came through so strongly yeah. this time. Mm. so sauvage is now streaming on stan if you want to check it out you are listening to primal screen on three triple r triple r
You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Stewie Richards, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now let's duck out the back of the party for a quick smoke as we look at our final film of the evening. You know, it's like I didn't think I deserved a bra because I don't see myself as a real woman. It's about more than just fabric. Yeah, and I've been wearing bikini bottoms for months. Appropriate Behaviour from 2014 is the debut feature film directed by Desiree Akaven. Brooklynite Shireen, played by Akaven, the daughter of well-off Persian immigrants, is left homeless and jobless after her girlfriend Maxine, played by Rebecca Henderson, breaks up with her. With the encouragement of her friend Crystal, Haley Pfeiffer, she moves into a tiny room with some odd housemates and gets a new job teaching five-year-old children the art of movie-making. Will Maxine be able to get over her ex, find new love, come out to her family as bisexual, and get these five-year-old boys to pay attention and make a masterpiece? Flick, any film that opens with someone storming off after a breakup holding nothing but a strap-on dildo immediately has my attention. How did you find this? (laughs) I laughed so hard at that opening scene. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, yeah, there's some really um, fantastic scenes in this film. I liked it a whole lot. I actually watched it in two parts just because I was um, uh, having scheduling issues this week, <laughs> trying to fit everything in. But I really enjoyed it. It was exceptionally funny. And there's so many awkward scenes. There's this fantastically uh, bleak threesome and um, <laughs> there's this role-playing scene between the two two women and it's just, uh, yeah, there's lots of, Lots of great moments in this film. Um, it's got an interesting style that's kind of non-linear. It's kind of about it's a breakup film, so it's kind of going back and forth in time, which I thought really worked well. I heard some reviews that were found that annoying, but I think it works perfectly. It's, you know, you, as you're kind of going through the the pain of a breakup and, and sad about, you know, trying to get back your girlfriend, I can understand that, yeah, you'd be reflecting back on those moments and certain things trigger that. Um yeah, it's a really interesting setup. Um, I think that bisexuality is often kind of sidelined a lot in queer cinema. So it's kind of fantastic to have this 20-something bisexual Iranian-American woman um, at, the, at the forefront. And, um, yeah, I really, um, the only thing I didn't like is I wasn't actually that big of a fan of Maxine. I found the girl. Oh, nor am I. I don't, think, I don't know if we're meant to be. Yeah. I found her really annoying. I was like, Stewie's hands have gone up. her back? <laughs> But um, she kind of seemed pretty unpleasant and abusive, so I, was, I wasn't into that. But to be honest, like, Akhavan is such an interesting um, filmmaker. She um, apparently drew some inspiration for this film from uh, Woody Allen's uh, Annie Hall, and I can, I can definitely see that. The main one is um, that stood out for me, and, and she's said this in interviews, is that she's very influenced by Noah Baumbach, uh, who's mm. one of my favourite directors. And, in fact, like, the character of Shirin, reminded me quite a lot of Greta Gerwig's Frances Ha. She's kind of got this light, sort of like slightly goofy but adventurous and like a bit brash. But um, funnily enough, uh, Ackerman hadn't actually seen uh, Frances Ha or another comparison would be Girls. She hadn't seen either of those two things. Wow. uh, You know, the film or the TV show. Well, she wound up acting in Girls in three episodes. Yeah, Mm. yes. So she had no reference. She was also saying that another inspiration was um, Muriel's Wedding which is really oh, wow. interesting. And I oh, can wow. see that because there's a sense of um, self-deprecating humour to this. And I don't know, I just really like her as a filmmaker. I think there's some bits that were a bit like on the nose. I wasn't that into the whole, um, I think it's, some bits were a bit obvious and a bit too, um, 
maybe directorial debut vibes. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually really enjoyed this. I found it very funny and just great getting that insight. And I liked her family. I thought that her there's a moment, and I don't think this ruins it, but there is a coming out moment. And I thought it was really painful, but really um, mm. played well. It didn't need to be this really. Uh, I don't know. It, it felt very honest. It felt like a very honest film. For sure. Chewy. Well, look, I loved Maxine. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, How did you love Maxine? <laughs> no, I, I, I get I, I'm done, because, Maxine. No, I, I think I've been Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> no, like Is this a cautionary tale? No, no when, you're, when you're dating someone that kind of needs to get their shit together emotionally, mm. uh, I think that can get a bit exhausting. Um, so, um, Stewie, no, next I up her underwear. Like, <laughs> what a, what a, te- like, yeah. You haven't done that. <laughs> um, I'm nothing. I'm admitting on air anyway. Yeah. <laughs> she also plays Lily in Russian Doll. If any, if you've seen yeah. that, she's yeah. got the the overalls in a Russian Doll. I, yeah, I really love this. I. I really loved Des, Des Akavan's, uh, I guess, career going to um, the miseducation of Cameron Post mm. after this one, I think, is a really interesting jump. Um, and before this, she has her web series, um, The Slope, which she did with her then-girlfriend, Ingrid Jungerman. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's very funny. Um, I, I like the way, the way memory kind of uh, mm-hmm. is played out through heartbreak uh, in this and um, the threesome scene I think is <laughs> so well done I mean it's it's not as bleak as the threesome in Sauvage <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, but, um, so many threesomes this week I know but, um, bleak threesomes <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the way like non-verbal communication plays out in 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 this in this threesome, I think is really well done. The way the emotional dynamics of the three characters slowly starts to to shift. Um, she's a great actress, mm. uh, Desiree Akavan. Yeah, yeah, she's such an interesting presence on film. Mm. She's got a natural cadence with the snappy dialogue, and like she fits right at home in that sort of you know Bombach girls kind of New York indie universe. Um, and it's such a great perspective, as you say. It's like um, the, the multicultural, you know, Persian, but also, you know, bisexuality, which, again, gets marginalised so much in, mm. in LGBT cinema. Um, it's it, And it's such an easy film to watch. I saw this at MIFF way back when, and, and I think I was with um, – agreed a lot with you, Flick. Like, I really enjoyed it, and it was a different POV, but it sort of did feel like a first film, whereas the second time around I found it so much easier. Mm. Um, to watch and get into. And it's like, I, I think it's a real grower. I think mm. there's a lot here that's just so effortlessly likable or at least makes it seem um, effortless and uh, a, a great uh, examination of a number of relationships and, and you've both talked about how well um, uh, memory is played here. And it's just it's just consistently really funny. And, and also, too, it's because, it, you know, as we've sort of mentioned before, a lot of queer stories can have some very downbeat endings and get very dark. And and I think I, I went out of my way to pick one that was really positive mm. and just really beautiful and fun and and just a, a kind of a, because, you know, so much of, of, of queerdom is, is, is adventurous and, 
and and pleasurable and and I wanted a film that sort of captured that sense of personal adventure. Mm. Um, I really yeah. dig this film. Yeah, happy endings. I think like they shouldn't be groundbreaking and radical, mm. but for queer films, they really are. Uh, and mm. and that's something that Lee Francis talks about, uh, who's the director of God's Own Country. Mm. Um, that with his queer films, he wants happy endings because you see so few of them in queer mm. history. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, no, it's absolutely important to to celebrate the joy of it because you know it's mm. this is there's so much joy in queer culture. Yeah. Um, we even have a radio station named after it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so appropriate behavior is available to stream on Stan and to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, and Google play. You've been listening to primal screen on triple R triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Stewie Richards, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. On tonight's spotlight on 2010's Queer Cinema to celebrate Pride Month, we discuss Tangerine, now available to stream on SBS On Demand and rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and the Microsoft Store. We discuss Savage, now streaming on Stan, and Appropriate Behaviour also now able to stream on Stan and to rent or buy via YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Join us again next week for what might be the last of our ISO specials for a while. We're taking it a week at a time, folks. (laughs) We'll be looking at something amazing, which as yet remains unconfirmed. So check out our social media channels this week and uh, just stay tuned to Primal Screen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search for us. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling and providing producing assistance for our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 